when you're in the middle of America, you don't know anybody there and you're on your own on a motorbike. There's no time for doubt or indecision. You just got to keep riding. So it's a great therapy in a sense. It's a shame that, you know, more counselors and more doctors can't prescribe the medicine of motorbiking. I just loved it. I loved being back on that bike, especially at the time we got to Monument Valley. I was, I was like, wow. Episode 85, Nathan Millward, Traveling America by Posty Bike. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Welcome to another episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is Travis. With me today is returning guest Nathan Millward. Nathan has written motorcycle travel books, the first one being The Long Ride Home, Sydney to London, which chronicled his quickly planned 23,000-mile ride from Sydney, Australia to London, England on a 105cc, make that seven horsepower, Australian posty bike. Larry, he rode the same posty bike 8,000 miles from New York City to Alaska in the United States and wrote about that journey in his second book, Running Towards the Light, Postcards from Alaska. Nathan, welcome back to the show. Hey, Travis. How are you, mate? I'm doing great. It's good to hear your voice again. Yeah, thanks for having us back on. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. So last time you were on, we had a good conversation about your first book from uh, from Sydney to London, and uh, that was a, an amazing journey that you that you wrote about. Um, but you, since then, um, or I should say since that trip, you've flown your posty bike over to the United States, and you've ridden it another 8,000 miles across the United States. So what triggered that trip? How did you get into that? What made you decide to just go ahead and do this? Oh, I suppose, uh, de- depression, despair, and not knowing what else to do other than uh, ride a motorbike, I, I suppose, is a is a summary. It was a, it was a case of uh, uh, being a bit lost, being a little bit down, uh, not knowing what else to do but to ride again. So I, I literally decided to do it one day. I shipped. I flew the bike to New York a couple of days later and landed in New York two days after that and and didn't have any plan, just rode west just because I don't know, I needed to get moving again and um, get back on the road. And so I, I didn't have much money, just £500 uh, to get me across America and, and I just made it up as I went along really. So it was, I guess what triggered it was the the anticlimax of the first trip really, um, having ridden from Sydney to London. I can't, you kind of think by the end of it, uh, you're gonna arrive at a land of hope and glory, and uh, I think you'll, you, know, you, you, I think you think by doing these big trips, it'll solve a lot of problems, and you'll arrive at your destination a lot stronger and wiser and fitter and healthier, and and actually it was, it was quite quite the opposite. And um, I spent a few years in a, in a in a certain turmoil, I suppose, trying to figure out what what you know what the I suppose meaning of life and all that, like well, what was the point and what am I gonna do and and I, I just kept spiraling downwards until I just kind of I got to the bottom and then just thought, just got to get back on bike. And that was it. So so despair and depression, I think, were the catalyst for that trip. And I think, I mean, in, in all honesty, from the people I've met on the road, that's quite a common, they're quite common motivators for a lot of the solo trips I see out there. There's, there's normally a, some sadness in people's adventures. And I think that's a good thing. You know, that's what, if that's what it takes to get you on the road, then. Uh, that's just a necessary evil, I think. 
Um, that, just my thoughts anyway. Yeah, I wonder if that is ever quenched. You know, you get on the road to try and solve some of these and, and free your mind. And once you get off the road, you find yourself longing to go do it again. You're like you're not complete until you're back on the road. Is that is that pretty accurate? I think so. I think also you spend all that time running away from the 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 the, the place you're trying to leave behind. And and while you're running and riding, it's it's all fine because you you you're consumed by the the movement and the momentum, and you're distracted. And then I suppose when you get to the other end and you have to stop, that's when it. it I suppose it's when you realise you can't leave your troubles behind or run away from your troubles. And I suppose that's that was just, for me that was a sad reality of life. That no matter how far or how fast you ro- you rode or ran, you you know you're always going to get caught up by your problems sooner or later, and, and they just seem to be ten times worse. So uh, yeah, I mean it's adventure and travels and it's an interesting psychology to it i think i don't think people do it just for the fun of it or just for the sightseeing well some people do but i think quite a few people out there are doing it for it's a lot of soul searching i suppose looking for answers and i suppose for me it was <laughs> it was a the lack of answers that i found or, or the answers that i didn't like that uh, made me get back on the bike after three years and go for, and i didn't know what the end end game was to the america trip i didn't, didn't know where it was going to end uh, i'd I didn't know how long it was going to last. I just knew I had to ride and camp wild. And um, that first night in New York was pretty miserable. I just slept on the street and waiting, for, waiting to find the sort of conviction to make my way out of New York, which, yeah, it was a cold, wet night. That was, I remember it well. Yeah, that was interesting reading the book. Um, I wondered what your expectations were going into riding across America after having done this 23,000-mile trip um, back to London from from Australia. What were you thinking you were going to experience coming across America? Or or were you just kind of missing out on that whole uh, planning piece? I know you planned it pretty quickly. Talk about that a little bit. Well, the, the planning was, uh, I suppose, for a few a year or so before I'd always thought. Well, I'd always felt comfortable riding west. I mean, west must have some sort of, I don't know, you know, connection to to you or something. It just, I always just felt comfortable riding west. And so when people used to say to me, "Well, where are you going to go next after the Sydney London trip?" I'd always say, "Oh, you know, maybe I'll do America." So I'd always had it in the back of the mar- in my mind, but I never imagined like one day I'd wake up and like the bike would be on a plane two days later. And um, so I didn't really know what to expect. Uh, I knew what to expect in terms of the trip. I, and I think that's what I dreaded most about it. I knew that I knew from the first trip that there'd be a lot more late nights uh, in, in camping in, in fields and wondering where you're going to sleep and uh, trying to find things that go wrong. And so I kind of knew what to expect this time around. I think the first trip when I set off in, from Sydney with no no idea I didn't know what to expect, and so I didn't fear anything. I wasn't worried about anything. Whereas on the second trip, I, I knew exactly what to fear. And I knew to fear those you know, 6 p.m. evenings where you don't know where you're going to sleep that night and you're struggling to find a wild camping spot. I kind of I knew all that was to come. I think that's why I was nervous about doing another trip. Uh, but ultimately, I guess I, just, uh, I couldn't let it go any longer without doing it. It's, uh, I was compelled <laughs> Sadly, you know, you're kind of battling yourself, aren't you? Until you go, oh, I've just got to let me, just got to go with it. You can only bat- battle yourself so long until until you, I guess you lose lose against yourself. Yeah, uh, you just have to throw in the towel and yeah, give in for sure. For it. So it was uh, that. I mean, those first few weeks across America were pretty 
it was just a bit tough going, I suppose, because the roads are uh, uh, very congested and, and busy on the east side of, of the country. And um, traveling at so, such a slow speed, sort of 37, 40 miles an hour, I, and I avoided the interstates. And it, it meant I had to pick a path through all the back roads through Pennsylvania. And I got pulled over in Brooklyn uh, that first day and by police who told me I couldn't ride my bike there, which they were wrong. And but it really gave me the sort of spook that I was going to get pulled over quite a bit because <laughs> they sent me to the DMV and the DMV said, no, I can't ride my bike there. And I was like, I know I can because it's, it's a common thing for people to do. But to, it took a lot of uh, wangling to, to convince them that I could do what I was doing, but that really gave me the spook. So I avoided the original route, which was Philadelphia and down through Washington and ended up to Pennsylvania and um, around eventually to Detroit and, and then across to Chicago, I mean, and I think the dynamic of that bike was interesting. It, it forced me through the back roads of Detroit, back roads of, of Chicago. And I think that's ultimately what made it for me an interesting trip. Because I was seeing the parts that you generally choose to avoid, I suppose, just because I couldn't take the interstates into Detroit. I had to take the, the you know, the low-lying roads. And that kind of what really opened my eyes, I suppose. And, and then ultimately made the trip about what I saw in America rather than, what I was feeling. Yeah. I thought it was a really good element of the book. And I think, uh, you know, you were a little too apologetic back on the last episode about it and I hadn't read the book yet. Yeah. And so it was, it was interesting to read that book with your interview, your first interview in mind and going through it. And, and I think you, you felt like people, um, you know, perceived you as, as being a little too hard on the U S you know, for some of the stuff you talked about, but you know, I think the real the reality is most of us won't ride through those areas. It's just not a destination. You know, downtown New York City on a motorcycle, in my mind, is a nightmare. You know, yeah. I have no desire to, to get down in there. You know, and then downtown Detroit and, you know, areas of New Jersey and whatnot. And they all have, uh, every place around the world has its its highs and its lows for sure. But it was a really interesting read to to get a view of my country through your eyes and because you had to be there on that, you know, on those side streets with that bike and not just, you know, tearing through on the highway. Yeah. I think it just made it, made me meet and see different things. And I think probably what frustrated me a little bit, I, I had some friends on Facebook in America and uh, when I, when I was posting about what Chicago and Detroit and some of the things I'd seen, they were saying like, you know, ignore all that. Come and look at the nice parts where they live. And I was like, nah, dude, you you come and look at this part. Right. Um, I mean, it, it's true. There's bad parts in every country. So I, I think that's a, a. I think if if you were to go any into through to any country, you're always going to see it with with different eyes to to what a native person is going to see it. So and I think traveling does expose the bad as well as much as the good. And so I, I, that's what I was apologetic for. I didn't want to think. I didn't want anybody to think I'd sort of singled out you know america for any kind of negative vibe it's just as a traveler i guess you see the good and the bad don't you and i guess ultimately you've got a lot of time on the saddle to try and make sense of it or do your best to try and make sense of it or even if it's only making sense of it in your own mind and i think that's that's ultimately it just opened my eyes i suppose it was it was a fascinating ride to a fascinating country and different different parts of the country I mean, each state was very different. Each part was, but so was my mental state. And I, and I think that was a, I think I tried to mention in the book that traveling is a, is a, and what you see is a real reflection of your current mental state. So if you're 
kind of on a bit of a downer, then that's kind of how you're going to see things. If you're in a good mood, then you kind of see the good stuff. So I think starting out yeah. the trip on a bit of a downer, I was kind of, a, I think starting the trip on a downer and then passing through Detroit and Cleveland and, and all those kind of Rust Belt towns, it was, it was like, wow, this is really grim. You know, this is, this is, uh, this is uh, interesting, but grim. And then it, it, Kansas as well was a little bit, uh, struggled a bit through Kansas just because it was so busy with traffic, but so empty with, I guess, life. It was not quite as much going on in Kansas. And then Colorado, a bit time I got to Colorado, I loved it there. I mean, Colorado is amazing. And then Utah, Nevada. And, well, that's fantastic. The scenery alone is, is worth, well, that's why I'm flying my GS out there to take my girlfriend around it because I loved it that much on that first trip there. And I guess as a solo traveller, there's only so long you can sit and admire an amazing view before you think, no, I may as well carry on riding now. So you know, the plan is to take, take the girlfriend back and do it two up and spend a bit longer just sightseeing and enjoying the Monument Valley and Grand Canyon and, and all those amazing places. Death Valley, I mean, Death Valley was my, my favourite place. Oh, that, I mean, that's insane. And you know, then I speak to people here in England who say, yeah, we, we went to Vegas for a week and and you'd say, did you go to Death Valley? And they'll say, no, 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 we, we took a you know a day trip to Grand Canyon. But so many people miss out on Death Valley. So. Right. I can't believe yeah. people so, spend so much time in Las Vegas. Hated the place, but uh, I can see its appeal. It just wasn't it wasn't for me at that time, I suppose. No, I agree. I can take Vegas for about two days, and I have to get out of there, and I'm usually running and screaming on the way out. Yeah, yeah, two days was that. That was it for me as well. So. <laughs> no. too many people yeah death valleys uh that is a a vast area it's uh, i'm glad you got a chance to to go out there um i don't are you planning on going out there on the gs as well yeah yeah i think we'll probably go uh, we'll land in vegas and then uh get straight out of vegas and just head west into death valley and then come back east and i'm not sure if we'll sort of loop around more towards zion and uh is it i can't remember bryce canyon then across to moab or whether we'll head more southeast first sort of back yeah. to uh, over Hoover Dam and Monument Valley and that sort of way not quite sure I think we're just going to make it up as, as we go along really yeah, yeah. well look for uh, up by Bryce and um, Capitol Reef all that stuff look for Highway 12 you need to run that I've one heard, yeah I've heard of that yeah, yeah. yeah you guys will love it yeah so I, I can't wait really uh, I'm actually going to hopefully enjoy this and I'm getting a lot not a lot of abuse but you know, there's those people saying, oh, you've sold out and you've got a, a big bike and it's a BMW. And, and uh, I just think it's, it's it's kind of irrelevant. I've just picked the right bike for the – or a suitable bike for this trip. And, uh, right. Yeah, that's uh, – Yeah, of, well, I think I think you have a a proper perspective. You've you've ridden a lot on this little posty bike. You know what it looks like from that side. And, you know, so you've gone with a GSA um, – sorry, GS1200A uh, Adventure – and you know how to what the comparison there's the right bike for the right time it just depends on what ride you want to take at the time it doesn't mean either bike is the wrong choice you know yeah definitely definitely i mean i, I wouldn't want to take that gs on the sydney london route I, I, I wouldn't be able to afford to for a start i think there's just the price of fuel and the, the, the price of the carnet de passage which is you know you document to take a vehicle overseas because it's worked out on the value of the bike as a percentage then Doing it on the posty bike made that document really cheap, but it was still a thousand dollars. You know, if you want to take a GS across from uh, Sydney to London up through India and Pakistan, you'd have to put something like eight to nine thousand dollars down as a as a deposit, 
and get wow. half of that back. So, I mean, your costs have multiplied before you've even left the door. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to take a smaller, less expensive bike. In his first book, Sydney to London, The Long Ride Home, Nathan Millward writes about his nine-month, 23,000-mile journey across the world on a 105cc postal carrier bike. However, that wasn't enough adventure for Nathan, so he again headed out on another adventure of 8,000 miles across America and wrote about that trip in his second book, Running Towards the Light, Postcards from Alaska. Pick up these two great books and get inspired to set out on your next adventure. You can find Nathan's books at www.nathanmillward.com, as well as the Amazon bookstore and your Kindle. Let's talk car racks, specifically Yakima and Thule. Chances are, if you're listening to our show, you either have one, want one, or you're going to need a car rack soon. Car racks, whether on the roof or on the back, need a good set of locks to keep your gear locked down to the rack and to your car. Good news. Our new sponsor, Z-Lock, has new lock sets for all Thule and Yakima racks at about one-third less than anywhere else. These lock cores are sourced from the original manufacturer and include bonus keys. Need replacement keys or cores matched to your current lock code? Z-Lock has replacement options even if you've lost all of your keys and don't know your key number. Check this out. Z-Lock is offering Adventure Sports Podcast listeners an additional 20% off their already low prices plus free shipping. Just enter the code ADVENTURE at checkout and you'll save up to 50% off a of retail. Go to zlock.com forward slash adventure. That's Z-E-L-O-C-K dot com forward slash adventure and save. I think you brought up a, a really good point uh, in your books about riding a smaller bike versus a larger, more expensive bike, that it's the way that per, people will perceive you, too. And I don't think this is just third world nations. You know, even, you know, in the Western world, if you're on a, a an expensive bike and you're riding through some of these downtrodden areas, people, you know, they're not going to they're going to look at you totally different. You know, then if you're cruising through on a on a low budget bike, you're a different person in their eyes and more approachable, I would think. I think so. I think there's a bit more sympathy. I think there's you come through with a little bit less threat. And obviously, people don't think you've got much to steal. So in that regard, um, and I certainly never had any problems on the on the posty bike, even even through the, some of the worst parts. It was the uh, people just I think what I like about America is that you can go about your business and nobody really will pay you any attention and i quite like that you know i'm beside traffic lights in uh, where was that oakland going to san francisco i just remember sat in the, sit there and i was in a completely different neighborhood to not a particularly rich one at all quite a poor one and i just sat there at traffic lights and everyone around me you know, i'm like the really odd man out on a foreign bike a scruffy face open open face helmet and nobody even looked at me it was uh i thought I mean, the reality is if if you're in a bad side of Manchester or, or sort of Liverpool, Newcastle, parts of London, you you could get you, you could get some trouble. So I do like the fact that in America you can just people are used to seeing. Oh, I don't know whether they used to or they just don't care if there's somebody a little bit different next to them. So I, I never feel I never really felt 
any threat. It was Detroit equally. I just sort of passed through Detroit and through a lot of those really burnt down suburbs. And I didn't really feel like anybody was looking at me or watching me or, or even cared that I was there. <laughs> yeah. we're all too bu- too busy to to care yeah, yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> we're all just running around doing our own things <laughs> yeah well that's true it's, I and mean, that's i think that's a good thing i don't know we uh i don't know we're, we're really nosy in england we kind of want to look at everyone and see what they're up to and that's funny gossip i think we're good gossipers in england <laughs> that's all in good fun right? yeah, yeah so why the title running towards the light I don't know. It's a bit pompous, really. I wish I'd have gone with something a little <laughs> less pompous, but uh, I don't know. I guess, I guess for me, because uh, I were in a bit of a dark place uh, after that first trip, it. Uh, I don't know. The title just came, just came. It just made sense because I suppose everyone's aiming for something a bit brighter at the end of the road, and and I think that's all I was doing really. And I think it's sent across off across America. I was just running. T- towards hopefully a, br- a bit of a brighter a day and uh, I suppose I was riding and not running so I, <laughs> I got titled wrong a little bit there should have been towards <laughs> no, five but, uh, I didn't really I don't know it, it I was just in a funny place and I think I was just grateful that I had the motorbike trip as my sort of salvation I, uh, it's it's worrying that uh, there's been a report on TV today that uh, the biggest killer of under 45 year olds in England is, is suicide male, you know, for males and I think I think when you're in that position where you think, oh, this is it's getting ugly, and I don't really know what to do with myself, and I, I was always grateful. I had, I knew if I could just get back back on the bike, I'd be all right. But there's a lot, there's a huge number of people over here, and I'm, I'm assuming the same in America, in the Western world, who were just, you know, they, they're reaching an end of the line and they're doing, they're doing, but they're pulling their own trigger, and I think that's that's a sad predicament we're in as a society when so many young men doing that as a way out and I, I think my way out was a, was a road trip on a motorbike I th- yeah i can relate to that there's no doubt yeah. it's uh i wondered about the title because uh you won you told a story about visiting the doctor you needed an mri and and you had your mri luckily everything was good in it but um the doctor asked if there was anything else that that you were concerned about and you were kind of down and, uh, and she asked if, if that should concern her. And I, I laughed at your answer because you were, you told her you were uh, too indecisive to decide whether to live or die. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think that, I think that, that, and that sums up your frustration when you, you just, can't, <laughs> you, know, you just can't be certain of anything. And yeah, it, it's, I think for me, it was, um, I'd like to think there's a lot of people who can associate with, with that notion of hating yourself and that most, the most, the biggest thing you hate in the world is yourself, and then the realization that you, that there's nothing you can do about that. That you are yourself, and whether you hate yourself or not, that's it. You're stuck with yourself. And I think for me that was it was the end of the Sydney London trip was that realization. Like, and then how do you look? And then you don't see a way out of that because you think, well, I ain't, I'm not going to change. I've tried changing. I've tried doing these things to to bring about this change, and nothing changes. I'm still the same. Still hate the same things about myself, and, and and I think that is, I mean, it's self-loathing, I suppose, which sounds quite pathetic, but that's I guess it's <laughs> the state that you get in, or you really loathe everything about yourself, and, and I think that when you get into that cycle, it becomes it comes a, a spiral, and it's never ending. And uh, I don't know, I just uh, I'm just, like I'm just glad I, I had my way. I had my light at the end of the tunnel, which I, I knew getting on the bike was the answer. I just knew I had to 
I didn't know where it was going to take me. I didn't know where the road was going to go. I didn't know whether I was going to get to San Francisco. I didn't know whether I was going to get to Alaska. But I knew I was going to get on bike and ride. And I think the beauty of being on a bike and riding is you ain't got to think about anything. You've just got to ride. And riding is a very simple, pure act. And, you know, when you when the world around you is falling apart and you don't know which way is up, as long as you can point the bike in a particular direction and keep riding, then all of a sudden life becomes very, it's gone from very complex and, and turbulent to very stable and linear and just you're just riding and if you pick an endpoint, say san francisco from new york then i know all i've got to do is ride every day i don't have to care about anything else any doubt or indecision because when you're in the middle of america you don't know anybody there and you're on your own on a motorbike there's no time for doubt or indecision you just got to keep riding so it's a great therapy in a sense it's a shame that you know more counselors and more doctors can't prescribe the medicine of motorbiking I think pills have become a, a all too common solution to things that can't be solved by pills. Uh, I, I just loved it. I loved being back on that bike, especially at my mon- by the time I got to Monument Valley. I was, I was like, wow! I was, I, I was, I was taking every drug. I was like on opium. I was, uh, yeah, high, high as a high as a kite on that because it was like, wow! I'm in, I'm, on, I'm in Monument Valley on my own bike. Nobody know, nobody knows where I am. Nobody cares where I'm going to be tomorrow. I'm in my own world. I know. I don't know where I'm going to be next week. By that point, I'm running out of money, and I didn't know what I was going to do. But in that moment, in Monument Valley at sunset, then I'd reached my sort of nirvana. I reached my good point, my happy day. Yeah, um, absolutely. I think people should uh, prescribe motorcycle riding. If you think about it, you know, somebody walks into the the psychologist's office and. Uh, says, I want to kill myself. And the psychologist says, well, you need to go get on a motorcycle and focus on not dying, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah I think it'd be better. <laughs> Unless you right. kill themselves on a motorcycle, then I guess that's, that's, right. that's bad news. But, well, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Get out there and focus on not dying. You might, uh, you, yeah. you might, you might turn your, your thoughts around. Well, yeah. I, I, I truly idolize and respect your ability to, you know, within a couple of days, just decide to, to pack your bike up and, and fly it across the country and, and go ahead and set out on a journey with limited budget and just to, to see where the wind takes you, uh, essentially. Um, that is that in and of itself is a, is an awesome trait. Oh, thank you. I, I, like I say, it was desperation really, but I, I always liked, I think desperation is a good source of inspiration. Yeah. You know, you just, uh, there must be other people who are at the best when they're probably at the worst. And, uh, I think when you it brings out the best in you. I think that's that's the thing. When you're in that position where you don't know what else to do, then you just got to do something, and then you you come out guns blazing, I suppose. And um, and then then you get the focus, and then you get the, I guess you get the grip between your teeth, and even a bit of anger. And anger is quite a good thing. It gets you moving, gets you on the road, and um, yeah, I I, I don't know. I don't know. It was a funny time in my life, really. Uh, I'm glad it's over. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I think it it, it does seem like it's over. Um, I was telling you before the the interview, because the, the, you know, the title running towards the light, it got me thinking, I'm thinking, you know, during his, his writing and talking to you in the interviews uh, and following you on Facebook, whatnot, just chatting with you a little bit. You you seem like you've kind of come out of this uh, these doldrums. You you seem like you've kind of found what your purpose is, um, and part of that 
I should say a lot of that revolves around motorcycles. You've gotten into something that you, you truly seem to have a passion for at this point. You weren't really born and brought up into motorcycles. You ended up on this posty bike, um, but you ended up common, uh, doing spots, you know, commentating and, uh, and hosting spots for, for some television shows, um, and doing a lot of, uh, stuff for magazine and whatnot. Yeah. Um, talk about that a little bit about your, your projects that you're, you're dealing with and what this original ride from Sydney has brought you to now. Well, I guess it's, it started with, uh, just before I was, I was going to go back and do the final ride up to Alaska, I got offered a, a job at, a job at a magazine called Adventure Bike Rider here in the UK. And uh, when as soon as I got back from Alaska, I started on that and I was there for about 14 months. And that was, that was, I'd done some freelancing before that for a few different magazines, but this, this was my full first full-time gig and I ended up editing that magazine for my sins. I mean, I don't, can't say I did an amazing job, but I did my best job on it. It was, um. But it was a great role for for a, making great contacts within the industry at the manufacturers and, and the product suppliers and other riders because I'd be good on the bike launches and things like that. And uh, it was just also good in, in getting to ride all the bikes and, and just getting, I suppose, um, a certain credit, not, I don't want to say credibility, but um, I'd sort of step beyond the long ride on a small bike kind of. A uh, little recognition. Yeah, I suppose. And, and then when that came to an end last September, I started freelancing and the freelancer work, freelance magazine work is difficult these days because the print industry is struggling. So there's not as much work out there, but there's been enough to survive on. And I do a lot of product testing, adventure boot testing and waterproof testing, bike testing, comparisons uh, of new adventure bikes. Because that's the thing in the UK magazine scene, there's not many people. Uh, in the, who sort of specialise in the adventure scene? There's not many people who can ride like the bigger adventure bikes off road. They've all come from a road racing background. Most of the UK journalists. So I've kind of been able to have a, establish a slight niche in just being able to do that side of it and having an experience of doing a big trip and using panniers and things like that. So that's been good. And I've done a bit of presenting work and I've done a bit with the books. I've kind of neglected the books books recently and. I think, to be honest, I, I, I just start to become a little bit bored of the routine of just writing about products and new bikes. Because I, I'm interested in bikes, but a bike is only a tool for the adventure or the job. So I don't like. I, I found myself recently getting too caught up in whether this bike's better than this bike, or whether you know adjustable suspension or electronic suspension is is better than, or which tires which tire should you use for this? And you know, it's it's all that finer detail of it, which ultimately doesn't matter. I mean. I, I didn't ever care about that sort of thing when I was doing my trips. And I've kind of found myself getting too indulged in that side of the scene. So that's where this trip on the GS has come from, just to get back out there, really. And um, just to, just to experience a trip again and to share a trip. That's the biggest difference this time. I'm doing it to what with my girlfriend. It's it's going to be a big thing. It's, it's different. I've never traveled with anyone before. But, uh, you know, it's uh, we'll either kill each other in the desert or... <laughs> the right, the right to tell the tale um and i think it's i'm i bought that gs because i was that sick of people using me or t- coming up to me and saying oh so it just proves you don't need a gs to do these big adventures and because i did it on a posted bike and i kind of don't like i just don't like the arguments in the, the adventure sector is just it's ridiculously full of arguments as to whether you should have a big bike or a small bike or an expensive bike or it's, it's just really it's, it's pointless so i thought well, i'm gonna get a gs and annoy some people and 
Because <laughs> I always liked it. I think it's a great buy. I mean, it, it suffers sadly by it's got a bit of a dowdy image. Uh, I think that's half its problem. It's a great buy. I'm not totally convinced by its reliability. I've heard a, you know, yeah, or a few horror stories, but we'll see if it lasts 6,000 miles without any problems. And I'll, on the America trip, then I'll be delighted. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's, I think you'll be fine. Yeah, you know, I think so. It's, I don't think anybody builds a uh, a bad bike these days. It's everything is generally reliable and everything is going to have its problems here and there, you know? Yeah, that's true. That's true. I suppose I just know the difference is with the posty bike or any small bike is that the cost of it means that if the very worst happened and you had to abandon the bike or it got stolen, then you could have, you could afford that loss because that loss has already, the cost had already been you know, soaked up. You did do it. The bike was paid for this. Yeah, absolutely. This is a lot more expensive bike. It's still on finance. You know, if I trash it in America or get stolen or I don't know, you all manner of things and I'm still going to be paying for it for the next four years. And I think that's when people say, oh, it's a shame people buy these new expensive bikes and never use them. Well, I can see why they never use them because they're too terrible <laughs> to use them. Because they've got all this money tied up in this investment and they can't. I mean, I can, if you're an amateur off-road rider and you've got a 15,000 pound GS, how would you ever dare take in that? off road at the risk of damaging it you just won and i don't know if it's popular in america but over here everything a lot of bikes are now on lease you lease them for two or three years oh so really never, no. it's, it's huge way it's, it's it's coming with the cars and now the bikes it's a huge way of getting more new machinery on the road so you never own it but if you damage it when you when you got it on lease and it you really get nobbled and you've got a mileage limiter and you can't do more than four thousand miles a year so there's all people with these bikes but they've got so many restrictions on how they can use them that that's they're just not getting them used oh uh, man well I, I suppose we'll see that over here soon then that's uh you see a lot of people getting into uh way more vehicle than than they can truly afford because they can lease it and oh, don't that's, say that. uh, that's kind of scary <laughs> i was <laughs> to look at the bike at the bmw dealer and uh, she says do you want to want me to see if we can get you through for bmw finance so i said yeah yeah don't yeah you can try it but i don't think it's going to happen and then she rings, she rang me back the next day and said, "You've been approved. Do you still want the bike?" I was like, oh, no, "I shouldn't really, but uh, <laughs> I've gone down this path now." So, uh, no, I wouldn't knock the financing bit if you get to own it at the end. But when yeah. somebody's going to lease a, a bike that they may take off road like that, I mean, that's that's dangerous territory. That's that's oh, not is. something I want to do. And, <laughs> and I'll knock you for financing. <laughs> oh, thank you. It's an ex training school bike. There's a training school called uh well, it's a bmw training school in the uk that uses brand new gs's every year a fleet of them and after that year sells them off i mean they are about three thousand pound four thousand pound cheaper because they've had cosmetically they've had a lot of damage or right. you know they're scuffed and there's a bit cracked and so it's one of those bikes so it was already it was already scuffed and battered up when i got it so i've not been able to make it any worse even though i've I mean, I do crack quite a bit because I, I love I love riding it off road. That's why I bought it to ride it off road. Uh, I love the challenge of a big bike off road. I mean, the, a small bike off road is fun, but the challenge of a big bike off road is I, I do like that because it's all about precision and accuracy and balance and yeah, just picking a line and and it's it's just a totally different experience and I do like that. Yeah, absolutely. It gives you the challenge that the posty bike might might not, but uh... You know, there, like I said, there's benefits to both depending yes. on the, the ride that you want to take part in. Yeah. No. So I want to give a shout out um, to the Adventure Bike 
TV guys. I brought that up a little bit earlier. They're a British um, online TV show for adventure bikes, obviously. And you did uh, a few stories for them and, and well done, I might say. Oh, thank you. Um, so I want to tell people, listeners, uh, go on to YouTube and type in Adventure Bike TV. Uh, they're putting together a, a great show, I think. And what they're doing right now is trying to raise money on Indiegogo to continue the program and, and obviously get some funding for uh, more cameras and to be able to pay people like uh, Nathan to to do his spots. Um, so if you enjoy watching this kind of stuff, certainly go on to Indiegogo, um, search it, search out for uh, Adventure Bike TV and see if you can throw them a few dollars and, uh, and help them along on this because I think what they're doing is a, a good product and I'd like to see them continue personally. Oh, cheers, Travis. I know they'll appreciate that. I know it's uh... – Tom, the guy who set it up, it's, uh, it's just his personal endeavor to, to put it together. So it's and it's it's a tough game because it's advertising. It's supported by advertising, and uh, right. advertising right. is a difficult thing to to get these days. So yeah, he's doing well. He's doing well. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure he'll appreciate that plug or mention. I'm good. I hope people swing by. I I've enjoyed watching it, and uh, and will support them myself. So Thank I you. Uh, I recommend it. On August 1, 1999, Polly Litovsky left her Colorado home and headed west, traveling over 14,000 miles on foot, becoming the first woman to walk around the world. But it was never an easy road. Every day, Polly struggled with adversity that left her lost and miles off path. Her book, Three Miles Per Hour, The Adventure of One Woman's Walk Around the World, has won six national awards and is available on Amazon, Kindle, or her website for a signed copy. Visit www.3mph. B-O-O-K dot com. That's www.3mileperhourbook.com. So tell me more about your plans for this this trip that you're you're coming over to the U.S. for. Um, you said you're landing in Las Vegas and going out through Death Valley, and I know you're not a planning kind of guy, but what's the what's the kind of the general idea? Um, well, we've got so we land in Vegas on Thursday. The bike lands on Thursday. Friday we leave Vegas, and then I honestly don't know. We've got five weeks to circle sort of Utah, Nevada, Colorado. And then on the at the end of the five weeks, the bike's got to be on a boat out of New York back to England. So um, I think for four weeks, we're just going to explore the national parks and probably only do maybe 150 miles a day. Some days we might not do any mileage. We might just um, you know, spend a little longer in some places. We're going to camp everywhere, maybe motels every couple of every, you know, twice a week or something just to recharge batteries and uh, like I say, my girlfriend's never done anything like this before, so it's, she's quite brave. I think she's jumping into the deep end with this one. So yeah, good for her. Yeah, definitely. So I bought a slightly bigger tent. We've got a three-man tent, so that should be big enough for some creature comforts. And uh, I don't know. I, I, what I like about it is there's not 
every other trip I've done, I've had an end point. I've, I've got to get there. So the route becomes very linear, and especially on the posty bike with the speed so slow, you stop deviating because the, t- the time it takes you to deviate, you just think, oh, I'll keep on riding. Whereas on whereas on this trip, it's just it's just going to be looking on a map and thinking, oh, there's, there's a nice road there, like say route, that Highway 12 or Bryce Canyon, and and then just meandering and exploring. It's going to be more of an exploration than a um, all out adventure trip. But, but I think that's my point with this one. I, I think adventure riding, the adventure scene, is is become a little bit alienating to 95% of people who ride those kind of bikes. It's, it has become a little bit. You know, you must ride around the world. You must wear crazy overprotective clothing, and <laughs> you, you must—I don't know—there's it's, it's becoming there's there's an attitude attributed now to adventure. And I, I kind of—I think we've got to remember that the most people, majority of people with bikes, I think they're a little bit more safe, maybe a bit more cautious. And I, I, don't, I certainly don't want to alienate. So what I'd love to do with this trip is just to show people back in the UK or any part of the, uh, Europe or whatever that shipping your own bike to America or, or possibly renting one there is a really easy thing to do. And, and even a novice adventurer or traveler or rider could, could easily come to America and see some amazing things. And, and it, it wouldn't be really as far out of the comfort zone as you'd probably think it. And they probably could get more out of their bikes that they own or rent one. Or, and, and, and I think the problem we've got to is that we're always saying like go on a big trip around the world etc but most people have only got a two-week holiday they might only have a three a two three-week holiday so it's about how you can get most out of that time and you can so say you could come to america and rent a bike for two weeks and, and do some of the stuff we're going to do or three weeks and and i think it's about taking a story back home which is a lot more accessible than something like a postage trip posted bike trip or with pan america or something it's going back to the to, to england to the bike shows there and saying look you know this is what i did with my gs what could, could you do this with your gs in the three weeks holiday that you've got every year and, and, and trying to break down that barrier so instead of saying look at how cool i am look how difficult this is it's a more case of look how easy this is and this is how much it's going to cost you this is a process these are practicalities this is the documentation you need or don't need and, and this is a kit we taught this is how we did it well, this is how you can do it. Now, you know, now, now put it on your agenda. Now, give it some thought yourself because it's an amazing thing to do. Um, I think to travel on your own bike, is, 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 it makes it it's wonderful. And uh, so it's more of a trip to try and encourage. So to write some stories for the magazines back in the UK, maybe do something for Adventure Bike TV, and then have the bike on the stand at the NEC Bike Show, which is the biggest one in the UK, and just – Give out literature, give out flyers printed up saying very simple step by step how to get your bike to America and, and do that. And then let's, you know, let's try and get more people out there, get more people riding. Um, so that's my kind of mi- mission with this. My mission isn't, I don't know, it's just to try and get more people out there. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. The uh, we find with this podcast, the the most downloaded episodes are those that make that talk about adventures that are attainable for the general population. You know, people are interested in something like base jumping or extreme skiing, you know, that kind of stuff. But the stuff that's really digested the most is the stuff that you can find yourself doing and seeing yourself doing. So for you to, to bring your bike over here and do that and demonstrate, this is you know a way to adventure, you know, for the general public, I think it's a it's a great idea that you're doing that, and uh, I I hope to to read about it. 
when you get done. Yeah, I just hope people will, will do something similar or think about, at least think about it. Because there's a lot of people in, in the UK who are a little bit nervous and scared of riding into Europe. You know, they're scared of putting their bike on a, a boat to to France, and that's only an hour crossing. And then France is not that alien a world. It's it's not too dissimilar to the UK. But there's, there's, there's a lot of people there who were wanting to go on these trips, but just they're still reluctant. There's still that little bit of fear. And I, th- I think it's just about trying to break that down so people just think, yeah, okay, I'll give it a go. Um, yeah. Absolutely. So that's that's the kind of the mission, the mission goal with this one. Yeah. Very cool. So, do you have any bucket list items after doing this this trip on the the GS over here? Do you have any other places that you're thinking these are definitely on my list to uh, to to take us over to to try? Uh, I'd love to do something in Japan. I think Japan's a country that we don't see much of in terms of it being ridden. And from what I gather, it's a very easy country to travel through, and it's also you, wild wild camping is legal there. Um, so I, I think I love the idea of that, and I think it's, I think the culture over there is very interesting. I think there'll be some really interesting stuff to see. Um, and again, like I say, I've not seen that much on it, so I'd, I'd like to do that. I think that the hardest part of the America trip was wild camping. Like finding places for wild camp across the Midwest and stuff was was really difficult and in the east it was because uh, ev- everywhere is sort of fenced off and i guess everywhere is owned somebody owns it so finding places to wild camp was very difficult so to hear that japan is you know, literally camp anywhere I-, I thought that sounded quite good uh where else ah, that's it for now really i don't think that too that too far ahead really i don't think it pays to us so for now my focus is on this america trip beyond that the nec show then christmas and then next year, I don't know. I'd like a bit more stability, I think, as we all would. I'd like a bit more of a stable income and stable hours. and I think that's – but they're not necessarily motorcycle-related. <laughs> yeah, I think you need to find a healthy balance between the two. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, good deal. Good. Well, I want to point people to everything that, that you're working on, and I might miss a few things here, but you can find Nathan on Adventure Bike TV, as we discussed. That's on YouTube. You can find um, his, some of his writing and comp- contributions to Adventure Bike Writer Magazine and Brake Magazine. Um, in fact, Brake Magazine, I guess you didn't contribute to, but they did a story on you uh, about the posty bike versus the, the BMW, right? I did. I, I crashed the. I managed all that distance on that posty bike without barely a scratch on it, and then I did. <laughs> I did that right, day's riding for that, and I, I fell off it three times and bent the, <laughs> bent the engine bars on the rear rack. I was so annoyed. But, uh, uh, yeah, it was good. It was a good day. Um, it was a good, a good day, and I think the photography. Llewellyn, who runs the site, does his own photography, and I think that's I think that's that's worth checking out on that website alone. They've got reviews of the twelve ninety KTM Super Adventure and all the big bikes, and his photography is. Yeah, really stand out. I think it's it's worth checking out that website just for that. Yeah, it's a neat set. I hadn't uh, known about it until you brought it to my attention. I'm going to bookmark it, and it'll be one of my, my normal stops. That's break, B-R-A-K-E-magazine.com. Yeah. That's and it, we'll yeah. put the links to the stuff. They can find you at NathanMillward.com, and, of course, on Facebook. You're very active there. Yeah, I feel bad. I mean, I've got all these friends who aren't interested in motorbikes, and the only posts I put up on my Facebook feed are about motorbikes. So they there must be a lot of people out there who think I've got no life outside motorbikes. <laughs> if they're not interested true. in motorcycles, they're not friends. <laughs> I know. I know. I feel I'm bad. Kidding. I've got to start putting some other things. Like I've got to start taking pictures of 
like my food that I'm cooking for dinner and that sort. Of. There you go. Gonna make it a little bit broader in the subject. Yeah, I, I for one will, will, I can't wait till you start taking pictures of your food. That's for sure. <laughs> I'm on Instagram as well. Can you? I've just started on Instagram and I'm, I'm struggling to find any friends. So. Oh, good, good. Well, I'll, I'll come follow you there. And then the last thing I wanted to talk about is you're doing a, uh, a documentary on the Posty bike. Tell me a little bit about that before we go. Well, um, this guy a few years ago named Fraser Byrne, um, just to, he does he does bits and stuff. I think he's had, he's had something on Vice. And he, he approached me and said, look, I've seen your footage on YouTube and I really want to do something. And we, we did a bit of filming and that was a few years ago. Nothing came of it. I think we both dri- we both just drifted away and we lost interest. And then he came back to me in the summer and said, "Let's let's do this video. I'm I'm sick of that we that we didn't finish it." So I said, "Okay, let's let's have a go." And so I, I gave him all the footage from the Sydney London trip, and um, he came up and he filmed me riding the bike around Warwickshire in the quarry where we ride and 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 bits and bobs. And that was about six seven weeks ago. And, and last night he sent me the the first cut through and. Well, I didn't know what to expect because it's a document. It's like a 15-minute film, basically. Um, and I didn't know what to expect. So I was totally nervous about watching it because you know you, know, you never like to. Well, I never like seeing myself on camera, let, let alone telling a very personal story on camera. And, and what he's done was was amazing. I thought um, I he's a very talented chap, and somehow he's managed to thread together, make a story out of my rubbish videos, and and produce something which I think. Hopefully, we'll get some some take up outside the motorcycling sector. I guess it's talking a little bit about what we've talked about tonight, and I, I don't know. It just worked, and and he, he's got three weeks to put the final touches to it, and then we're just going to put it out on Vimeo and, and YouTube. So I'm dead excited about seeing that because what he's managed to do in 15 minutes is tell a better story than I have managed to do in 180,000 words in two books. Um. <laughs> Oh, well, that's a good thing. Yeah. So basically, it's like, don't buy the books. Just wait for this 15-minute documentary to come out. So that <laughs> explains all of it. It's no, the, I disagree. I love your books. I, I wouldn't, kind, uh, kind, I wouldn't this, direct anybody away from your books. Knock it off. <laughs> don't – I know. I think do – you, do you remember the girl I met in um, in Seattle in the book? Yes. Lisa. Yep. Oh, she emailed me after she read it. She said, I didn't realize you hated America so much. I was like, that really upset me that she said that. But that's what she thought about it. So if there's anybody, if there's any mega patriots, I don't think they'll like it very much. But just take it easy on me because I didn't mean any harm. Well, and you, I brought that up. You said that last time in the interview, and I hadn't yeah. read the book yet. So I got to, I got to read the book with your comment in mind, and I could understand certain sections where people might have perceived it that way. Um, but that's not it's not what you were saying at all. Um, and I think anybody in any country, if you're going to talk ill about your experiences in their country, are going to kind of take a little offense. But it's it's not really justified, in my opinion. If you think about it, you know, like I said, every area has good places. Every area has bad places. And it's just you take the good with the bad, bad with the good. It's like having a spouse, you know. You're, uh, they're, they're wonderful when you first meet them and then you get married and you're thinking, oh, so that's your bad side. All right. Well, you learn to live with it. You know, it's part of it. I remember that when we were, when we camping in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, you should. <laughs> I can hear a bear rustling in the woods and I'm like, yeah, I think you should go over there and investigate. 
Just remember, she's always right, or you're going to get kidney bruises on from the backside oh, of that bike. I know. We thought about getting an in, intercom, but there's nowhere I can listen to her for. <laughs> Let me mark that spot. I'm going to edit that piece out just yeah, to help yeah. you out there. <laughs> okay. So this uh, documentary on the the posty bike, where will be people be able to find that? I know you said YouTube and, and Vimeo, but is there a title to it yet? I don't know. I think he's just called it Dot. D-O-T, as in Dorothy, short for Dorothy, the name of the bike. I don't know. It's still work in progress, the title. So whether that will change, I, I think I'll just share it. As soon as it comes out, I'll share it. And it's one of them. It'll either people will either watch it or they, or they won't. But I was obviously I was mega excited when I watched it. I was like, wow. It made me, it just made me, actually for the first time, it made me proud. I was like, wow, that was, that was my trip and that. And I, I <laughs> No, it was just wicked, and and I, I think I've just chuffed. I wanted to share that link there and then, but he said I, he said I can't. I said I've got to I've got to wait for the official version. So, um, yeah. So well, that's good. I think it'll be good, and I, I for you to to get that feeling out of it is worth it all anyway. I mean, because you have some some phenomenal accomplishments here, and I don't think you give yourself enough credit for what you have done. I mean, a lot of people obviously look up to you; they're following you because of of what you've done. So you need to give yourself a, a pat on the back for that. And hopefully that's what you're getting out of this, this documentary. I look forward to seeing it. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I'll definitely share it. So uh, yeah, looking forward to it. All right. Good deal. Well, we'll get all those links and everything, especially your, uh, your Facebook link up there. So people can find that documentary by following you on Facebook. We'll get that all up in the show notes and uh, people can come see everything you're doing. Uh, I love following you. I think you know, you're, you're, what you're doing is right up my alley, um, so I, I look up to to what you're doing and the, the good work that you're doing, so keep it up. Thank you. Appreciate it. Likewise. All right, Nathan. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks, guys. Cheers. Would you like to be a guest on an upcoming show? Just go to AdventureSportsPodcast.com and click Contact Us. 